The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, 
But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, he is an, he is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Christ. In the name of a triune God of love. Amen. Amen. It was not easy to figure out what to do about the teenagers of Concord when they showed up here in this sanctuary in the 1970s looking for a place to hang out. They were welcomed and given a room in the then-new Undercroft. If we were to chip away at all the layers of paint under the murals of Noah's Ark in our nursery, we might find the black walls that surrounded a unique safe haven for kids who felt they had nowhere else to go. A powerful ministry had begun here. We called it The Place. And the parishioners, perhaps some of you who had just put heart and soul into building a new sanctuary and a new church school space, routinely arrived on Sunday mornings to find the new space littered with cigarette butts and trash left over from wild Friday night parties. Conflict abounded. Difficult decisions were made. The ministry continued, but kids who were bringing in hard drugs were asked to leave. These beautiful new windows on either side in the transepts had panels smashed out, rocks thrown from the outside. The church ran out of replacement panels, and red glass panels were used to repair the damage. One red panel on each side. It was hard to know what to do. The people of God were in a tough spot. It was hard for the prophet Samuel to know what to do 3,000 years ago as a prophet among the Israelites. The tribes had recently united under a fledgling monarchy with Saul as their first king. But Saul quickly went from righteous to amoral, and the trickle-down effect of his very bad behavior was destructive. 
We just heard in our first reading today what happened next. God told Samuel to stop grieving Saul's failures and grab some anointing oil and go out there and find a new king. With a bit of trepidation, Samuel went to Bethlehem, where God told him the new king was to be found. In a scene that may look to us like an ancient Israeli version of American Idol, the sons of Jesse were paraded in front of Samuel, and each was quickly dismissed as not the talent that Samuel had come looking for. And then Samuel asked if there were any more sons, and David was sent for, the boy shepherd. Now, David was not likely so glamorous as Renaissance art would have us believe. We do know he was beautiful, but he also probably smelled like sheep. And yet somehow Samuel knew in an instant that David was the one, the hand picked by God, king of Israel. Now, I think this story is fascinating, but in terms of applying it to my own life, I have one huge problem. Unlike Samuel, I do not have a newscaster-style earpiece connecting me directly to the voice and will of God. I don't know what God is asking of me in any given moment. I'm assuming that neither did the people here at Trinity in the 1970s. And neither do we as a diocese as we prepare to vote for our next bishop on Saturday. And neither do we in almost any discernment process as a community and as individuals. How do we as God's people move forward when faced with unexpected or complicated situations? How were the religious leaders to move forward on that Sabbath day 2,000 years ago when Jesus broke the rules? And gave sight to a blind man on the Sabbath. They wondered if the seeing man in front of them was actually the same man who had previously been blind, or was he an imposter? There was an unsolvable conundrum. If Jesus actually healed the man on the Sabbath, then, they assumed, Jesus was clearly a rule breaker, a sinner. And if Jesus was a sinner... According to known doctrine, there was no way he could have had the power to perform a miracle. So what happened? In their eyes, there was no answer, no context for knowing how to proceed. Those religious leaders, who, by the way, are always referred to as the Jews in John's gospel, as if the entire assembly, including Jesus, weren't also Jewish, those religious leaders were stumped, and so they called in the now not blind man and interrogated him. And they called in his parents, who confirmed his identity, but were too scared to say much more. The leaders then interrogated the transformed man again, and he began to get annoyed with them. Why isn't anyone celebrating this miracle with me, he may have wondered. Why am I on trial? And why is the man who gave me sight on trial? There was anxiety and uneasiness all over the place. And this story, this is the story that feels more like real life to me. It was hard to know what to do. The people of God were in a tough spot. We have so many tough spots to figure out in our own lives. Sometimes I feel inadequately equipped for all the figuring out that has to be done. 
Maybe you know something about that overwhelmed feeling, too. We must make decisions about our families, about medical treatments, decisions about our children or our parents, decisions about what to let go of when budgets won't balance, decisions about how to navigate complicated relationships, complicated issues at work, complicated wounds. Often we find ourselves in places where there is far more angst than peace. And these are Lenten places, I think, because they are deeply human places. Places where we see that we humans need divine companionship, and thus we ache for the God who was a suffering human alongside of us. That suffering and angst are real, but that suffering is not the end of the story, not for us and not for God. So here's a bit more of the story, a bit more of the gospel, the good news. Jesus spat on the ground and made mud, which he put on the blind man's eyes. Mud is what brought clarity. Mud is what welcomed in the light. I can't get over that fact, this kind of ironic, messy thing that God did. I think mud is actually something I'm starving for right now. And at the 8 o'clock service, someone brought up to me the very serious situation we have with mud, with the mudslide that is still being, that people are still being found in, in the West. And, and I'm not talking about that kind of mud. I think every gift of the earth, every element can come in too much abundance and can be destructive. I'm talking about the just right amount of mud that is a herald of spring that tells us that the great thaw is happening. I'm so glad it's muddy today <laughs> because it's the illustration of what we've been waiting for. I love the, the idea of the mud that means that I will no longer be wobbling over mounds of dirty ice and snow because mud, it occurs to me, means a return to life, a return to our connectedness with life. Listen to this wonderful poem by Wendell Berry. Through the weeks of deep snow, we walked above the ground on fallen sky, as though we did not come of root and leaf, as though we had only air and weather for our difficult home. But now, as March warms and the rivulets run like birdsong on the slopes and the branches of light sing in the hills, slowly we return to earth. I love that. We return to earth, dirt beneath our tired feet, grounding us where we may have been a bit off kilter in this relentless winter, grounding us in good news. The good news is that God is with us, especially when challenges overwhelm us. The good news is that people who came to this church in the 1970s as lost teenagers gathered here again in 2002 to tell stories of how their lives were saved by a supportive community right here. The good news is in the beauty of these windows and the profound truth of our human condition reflected in the wounds of the red replacement glass. 
The good news is that 3,000 years ago, Samuel found and anointed David, who would become a just king, not a perfect king or a perfect human being, but a celebrated leader and a forefather of Jesus Christ. The good news is that 2,000 years ago, a no longer blind man had the courage to defend Jesus and stand up for himself in the face of befuddled and intimidating authority figures. And the good news is that Jesus sought that courageous man out and offered himself to the man as a source of illumination and life. We hear the good news today. In today's iconic psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. We are not alone. We have much to navigate, but we do not do it alone. There is much that hurts us, but we do not suffer alone. There is much that derails us and blurs our vision of discerning what is what, but we are not, never have been, and never will be. Alone. Because the light came to show us the way. Once you were in darkness, we hear in today's epistle, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. That is our calling amid the noise and haste of this world, to try to find what is pleasing to God in complicated situations, in broken glass, in broken relationships, in a search for an answer or a leader or a way forward. We are called to try to see what is right and good and true. This is not an easy task. And often we miss the mark. But the good news is that in our attempts, we know we are accompanied by one another and by Jesus Christ. As the snow and ice piles melt away and our feet once again touch the matted grasses of early spring, we are reminded that we are grounded in the life-giving love of an ever-present Good, messy, incarnate God. And even on days when we can't find clarity in much else, I pray we find clarity in that. Amen.